When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Thank God we can do the show now. I don't mind telling you. I freaked out. Seriously. I, 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 I get lost a, my mind. I didn't get a tweet for like four minutes there this morning. I What'd you do? I blacked out. Time. I blacked out. <laughs> gave I up? saw Kenny passed out in the hallway for a second. Oh my God. His Mr. Twitter. Stopped. Kenny yeah. Olsen, Mr. Twitter. Love Twitter. Thanks for the mouth-to-mouth, <laughs> Judd. I appreciate that. No problem. Yeah. But Hope you, it didn't get too personal. Don't go to HR on me, okay? <laughs> uh, we got Chip Scoggins from the Star Tribune, our friend on Thursdays. Doogie with a scoop in like an hour. Let's uh, let's go to Target Field. Ding, <laughs> ding. You know, I try to be positive most most times, but there was that, that's just not good baseball. I mean, um, you know, we didn't keep the force in order on the base hit. We we let a guy steal third, who's led their team in stolen base attempts at third base the last two years. Uh, they they've they've outplayed us. You know, we talked about it. they they've uh, run aggressively. They've made more plays defensively. Um, we had one good inning in the, in the first game yesterday. Wheel of dysfunction. So much. Should we let our guest over oh, here, Chip absolutely. Scott, give the Chip? Chip are you that's, ready for this? That's about as annoyed as you're gonna hear Paul Malter here, right? Why absolutely. Don't you, why don't you give the wheel a spin for us, Chip? All right, here we go. There it is. Okay. Spin that wheel and around it goes. Where it stops, nobody knows. Oh, this is going to be interesting. Shifting the blame. Wow, we even have an audio soundbite to go with this one before we react, okay? The ball gets hit on the ground, and I automatically thought it was a double play. I mean, it's a soft hit ball right towards the shortstop, and we were shifted in the hole. So, you know, in that situation right there, it's just that has to be a double play. Um, you know, you make the pitch. It changes everything from that point on, obviously. Uh, you know, I have a chance to get through six. Press stays down there. Um, but, uh, you know, when you're playing that far over, it's it's a tough play for him to run over and just try to, you know, get an out, not even turn a double play. So I think, you know, that's just something that, that, that really can't happen in that situation. We have to be able to turn a double play when we have a double play situation. Shifting the blame while shifting the blame in this regard. I think what Odorizzi is saying is, I didn't like the shift, but I think what he's really trying to say is the shortstop still has to make that play. In, he tried to couch it a little in bit. Fact, yeah. in you fact, stare him down a little bit. Derek Wetmore, <laughs> Derek told me flat out, he, he said in my on my scorecard, I marked that down initially as an E6. So I think Odorizzi was annoyed by the shift. I think he's equally annoyed by the fact that the, the guy that the Twins start on a nightly basis these days at shortstop can't run the bases. And if you also can't make plays in the field, boys, that's going to make life very difficult on your ball club. Yeah, I think he's probably 50-50 if you're... A sign and blame there in Odorizzi's mind, and it, 
I understand him being annoyed by a shift if you're in, you know, you have a chance to get a double play there. Um, and, and I'm sure a lot of pitchers we were talking about before the show, I'm sure it eats at him when you're in a shift and you give up a hit that would have otherwise been an out. But you also have to turn around, flip it, and say, how many outs did you get that would have been a hit? Yeah. Uh, in, in, in and, and maybe, otherwise. like, over the course of time, the yeah. shift probably helps him a lot. And he was with the Rays for five or six years, and the Rays yeah. shift a lot. Could you make a case in that situation? Maybe you should play a little bit more straight up. Well, that's, um, I mean, they have the batted ball data that we don't have necessarily here. So I would, I would, I would trust that the Twins have some smart front office people and coaches right now. Yeah. So it was definitely frustrating. I think that was frustration based on a season for the Twins that hasn't mm-hmm. gone the way they thought. Adrianza has been mostly a disaster for them this year, and yeah. I think it was like it was just bubbling over for Odorizzi. Well, I saw <clears throat> I saw Royce through that on Twitter that he had a right to be mad because. You should not shift when you're looking for a double play there. Just play it straight up. Yeah. All right. Let's let's spin it again. Jeff, why don't you All right, give it hold a spin on a this second. time? All right. Here. Oh. Spin that ah. wheel and around it goes. Where it stops, nobody knows. Oh. Oh. What do we got? Oh. Time to ditch Mitch. Wow, Mitch Garver. Hey, right. he can swing a little bit, but there's there's a reason why you're still in the minor leagues when you're 27 years old uh, at a premium position, right? Yeah, yeah. So let's start with, with the Adrianza. The, the one good thing that they did last night, the absolute bomb to center, which I thought might be a home run at first. It hits off the wall. Uh, there are, hey, Garver run- thought it was a bomb too. He was just <laughs> yeah. like, hey. it was backwards jog. There are runners. There are runners on second and third. Clear, clearly, the guy from third scores, right? How is Mitch Garver still essentially hanging around second? How do you not? I would rather that that you be aggressive, and that if if the outfielder makes an unbelievable play, I get thrown out at second base, or or if he makes a great play and a relay home from the cutoff guy, I get th- thrown out at home. Were there the, no outs or one out? There were no outs when this happened. So I guess it, it was Grossman singled, Garver okay. doubled, Adrian's up, absolute bomb to center so field. So in his mind, he's because if there were if there was uh, obviously if there's two outs, you run yeah. it. But in, if there was if there's one out, then he would be misguided in thinking, well, I'll just tag up and go to third. Well, does okay now you're on third with two outs. Yeah, take it. So in his mind, he's thinking, well, if I can get to third and make sure I'm on third with one out, but score! But yeah. meanwhile, the ball's, yeah. the ball's just a bad read. Yeah. Yes. I know, it's ridiculous. Just it's a terrible home. read. I know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. is like Their base running has been atrocious yes. this season. Just absolutely atrocious. It's back to 2016, I think. Yeah. I mean, the the, mista- the mistakes are... The pickoffs, the, yes. just the not being able to read a, a, you know, a ball that's hit to the outfield, whether you know you go... Stay, I mean, it's just... There's been so many blunders in that in that area. And the latest catching gripe, I thought, now Presley was charged with a wild pitch, rightfully so, because the ball did bounce, but that bases-loaded pitch that bounced has to be blocked. Yeah. Your catcher, oh, this funny. is the big one. Yeah, it's funny you funny bring oh, that up. Why don't I give it a spin this time? Okay. Okay. Oh, the wheel of dysfunction is she might feel good today. this morning. Oh. Oh, there it is. That's the one I thought we were going to land on. Yep. No fun without the fundamentals. <laughs> Second and Jose and Kevin Smith at first for insurance. In the dirt, it gets away from Garver. And a run comes home. Sanchez scores. Abreu to third. Smith to second. Yolmer takes a tumble to tie the game. Yeah, not quite as bad as the John Curtis Mitch Garver battery yeah. from, was it like three weeks ago? Where they do it's just a complete clown show. But. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, the Twins, man. These are the games, too, that you just, you're not going to win all of them, obviously, but you hope to not lose two in a series against teams that are at the bottom of the American League. And I think, to, to me, the most frustrating part is you looked at the way they played over the weekend against Cleveland, and you're thinking, okay, they finally righted themselves. They're going to start playing some good ball now. They're going to, you know, get a bounce out of this, and then they just come and have, you know, the, the second game of the doubleheader, you threw a guy out there making his major league debut, it got rocked. Okay. But that one last night was just a complete clunker. Yeah, uh, there's more meat on this Twins bone. Well, let's let's save it for this next segment because we have to we have to do a little bit of a deep dive on the first baseman, the guy who played first base last night at least. But uh, uh, but short term, I, I kind of ditched the Twins game. It was so ugly, and I was back and forth. But I was mostly invested in uh, Game Three of the Finals. Let's dive in. Ding ding. Kevin Durant way outside delivers. Kevin Durant from downtown. It's a six point game. That's the same spot we had it in Game Three last year. Six zero. You know, he's one of the best players that I've ever played against that this league has ever seen. His ability to handle the ball, shoot the ball, you know, make plays at his length, at his size, at his speed. So um, there it is. Let me ask you guys this: Let's, So the, the series is over. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the series was over mostly when Kevin Durant signed with the Warriors two years ago. But do you guys think? Do you guys think that this is bad for the NBA? And then and then a question on top of that, do you think these dominant dynasties, when you see these teams pop up and it's just like, it's mostly a formality. You know what? Sometimes you might get into a bit of a pinch if you're the Yankees from 15 years ago, but it's mostly a formality. To what degree are those dynasties and, and is this one bad for the NBA or bad for leagues? I don't know. When you say bad... The NBA is going to look at TV ratings, and I get, I'm guessing TV ratings are going to be pretty solid. Yes. And so they're going to say, is it really bad for business if you're getting TV viewers? Mm-hmm. I find this incredibly boring, though, this series. And it's just, you know, and I love watching Stars play, and I love watching the Warriors and the way they play, but it just it just doesn't feel like you knew what, you, what the outcome was going to be coming in here. I saw a great tweet last night that, the Warriors won the championship when they beat the Rockets. This is just a victory lap. And it, I forgot who tweeted it, but that's exactly what this was. Cleveland had no shot. You got one guy playing against four stars. And it's just, I don't really find it all that compelling. I'm watching every game. And I'm not turning it off and saying I'm watching something else, but I just don't find it all that compelling. I, I think what's bad for business here is very simple. LeBron James on the Cavs. Get off the Cavaliers. It's, he's he's so good that he can get them this far, but he's not good, good enough by himself. And this is a one man well, team. Nobody is. No, right? Yeah. But but LeBron James. No, but LeBron James on the Cavs is bad for business because of the way that Golden State is is set up. Let's get him on a team that has components around him, and they don't have to be all all stars. But this is LeBron James and nobody basically. Well, that's the thing. I mean, if if. You know, if he goes to the Rockets, they're not going to be playing in the finals. Let's say he goes to Philadelphia, and the 76ers are playing the Warriors next year. That, to me, is going to be, that would be a hell of a series. That would be compelling basketball. This just feels like it's, it's just, it's a victory lap. See, see, I think if he went to the Rockets, if they found a way to make that work financially, because they'd have to do some cap maneuvering, I do think that team would beat the Warriors. I do, too. Oh um, yeah, I do yeah. too. Yeah. But the, but now the, the Celtics adding two superstars are going to be interesting next year. I think there's a difference. I don't think it's bad for leagues. I, I don't think the Yankees from well, we could go way back on the Yankees. But let's say the Yankees from like the late 90s, early 2000s. 
I don't think that was bad for baseball. I don't think Alabama football is bad for college football, but I think there's a difference between something, a dynasty being bad for a league and it just being really frustrating to watch that's, if you're a fan rooting against them, right? Well, that's, it's that, frustrating it, for fans. It's not bad for the league. That's Yeah, it's 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 how you it's how you describe it because uh, it's not going to be bad for the league because, like I said, the TV ratings are going to be good. But when, it, when this series gets done after next game, because I don't think, think Cleveland's got it in to beat them, are you going to say, boy, that's a fun series? No. You're going to be like, yeah. It was one fun game. Game yeah, one yeah. was fun, yeah. but but the Golden State is not bad for the the league. What is bad is the fact that there's a team. There's no team to compete. So if Bama plays in in the championship, that could be a good game because they, they get a team in that championship that could compete. So if you can get so if the Celtics now pop up, guess what? It's fun. The issue here is this is a one man team, and and he's finally gotten to a, a, an opponent with so many good, really good players. He can't beat them by himself. That's not his fault, but that's the thing that makes the, this series not intriguing. Yeah, it, it it annoys me so much when people like people keep dinging LeBron. Like last night, the post game show, and Chauncey Billups and Paul Pierce get on ESPN. And they start compl- so LeBron had a th- like thirty five points and a triple double last night. Was he as good as he was in Game One? No. Was he dominant in the fourth quarter? No. He also had a turned angle yeah. too. And these guys are ripping him for not giving more in the fourth quarter. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, he has normalized these freakish performances of the. He has ten NBA Finals triple doubles. The rest of the NBA combined in history has twenty seven. Uh, and so, and I could keep going on the list. So Kevin Durant puts up. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but it's like 43, 13 rebounds. I think it was seven assists last night. That's a pretty standard LeBron playoff performance. I just did a search on basketball reference. LeBron James, and it was 60% shooting for for KD. It was very efficient. LeBron James has put up 35-plus on 60% or better seven times in the past two playoff seasons. And three of those games, he shot 70%. And we just sort of shrug our shoulders when he does it. Oh, that's yeah. just a LeBron well, performance. And if he doesn't do it, we rip him. And yeah. when Kevin Durant does it, oh! But, yeah, but, it's greatest ever. Yeah, yeah. but if Durant is bad, guess what? Curry, Curry. is great. Well, and if Curry, Curry is bad, had, Curry made Durant like two shots is great. Last he was one of 14. Him and Clay, I think, yes. were three of 15 from three-pointers. And it doesn't matter. And they still won on the road. And it's it doesn't. Like, but but what we but what we need is we need LeBron now to get to a team where it's not a one man show. Give him two supporting players mm-hmm. who who are competent, and because the the thing about this series that has lost us, I think, to a certain degree, is the fact that game one was great. But you watched that game too, and you said that was their chance. That was it's like you you and watched game one and said they would no, not want to no, see but but that was their chance to actually play five games. Probably, yeah. I would I would be so curious to see how game one changed it because now it's a, now it's a sweep. Let's yeah, be honest, it's yeah. a sweep. And uh, it, it's possible that it would have gone six or seven. Could have been, yeah. And then, if, but if you get to a game seven, and you have LeBron James. That's where game one was so important. If you could just okay, now you're now you're tied. Now you're only down two to one. If you would have lost that game, you even it up at home in game four. Now it's just over. I think it might have gone six, maybe. I just think whenever the Warriors want to play well and win, they do. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, and 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 not to take anything away, Kevin Durant was yeah, that was an incredible. iconic yeah. performance last night, and the fact that that dude is seven feet tall and he can just pull up with the smoothest jumper in basketball, from thirty-five from 30 feet, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Uh, our friend Chip Scoggins is hanging out with us from the Star Tribune and StarTribune.com. We're packed today. We have Doogie at 10.15 for uh, for a little scoop action. Roy Smalley at 11.30. Matthew Collar will join. Maybe he'll be uh, 
open and honest about how terrible they were at the Vikings. I heard some bad things about Collar's golf game oh, yesterday. Oh, yeah, I don't think so. They're trying to paint it like, he hey, was we trying shot to par, say, yeah. but par is the max score you can do, okay? <laughs> I saw Chris he's Long a tweeted fraud. that back at Courtney because she's like, I'm happy with par. He's like, no, that's as good as you can do, basically. Yes. All right, we need uh, to have a come-to-Jesus conversation about Miguel Sano when we come back here. Another one. It's like our third one. But now ESPN.com. There's an article now on ESPN.com about him, too. Uh, so we'll dive into that from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Let's talk. Mackie and Judd are back. Gentlemen, the moment has finally arrived. On 1500 ESPN. You know, I try to be positive most most times, but there is, that, that's just not good baseball. I mean, uh, you know, we didn't keep the force in order on the base hit. We we let a guy steal third who's led their team in stolen base attempts at third base the last two years. Uh, they, they've, they've outplayed us, you know, we talked about it. They, they've uh, run aggressively, they've made more plays defensively. Um, we had one good inning in the, in the first game yesterday. Yeah, Paul Molitor sounds happy. Hey, Chip Scoggins, hey. let's make it official here. Our Tennessee-loving friend from the Star Tribune. Guys, I have, a, I have an article here that Dave tipped us off to on ESPN.com. And the headline is, 10 Hyped Players that are running out of time to become stars. <laughs> and they're not ranked. There's just it's just a list of like eight players who are still relatively young. Lucas Giolito is the first guy mentioned. He has a seven and a half ERA for the White Sox. That's the dude who had Tommy John surgery right away. Yeah. Uh, he had, I think he got drafted by the Nationals a few years ago. The second guy listed is Byron Buxton. <laughs> Hitting 156 on the disabled list. He's gotten on base about 17 times in the first two months of the season so far. And the third guy on the list is Miguel Sano. So the, the, the Twins have two and of the first three guys on this list. T- ten hype players who might just simply be busts. Not stars. It's not, it's not time to call Buxton and Sano busts yet. Okay. I'm not, I mean, I, I don't know if that's what you're doing right now, but they're I'm, headed down the path. I'm getting closer and closer by the day on, on Sano to saying he might be a bust. He's unplayable right now. I will say that. Well, He's unplayable. I've got I've got some uh, just some numbers here just for fun. So well, he was dropped to fifth in the batting order yesterday too, in a depleted batting order. Ooh. I might add. Joe Mauer's out. Byron Buxton out. Uh, Jorge Polanco was one of your best hitters second half last year out. So it's a depleted batting order. It's one of the actually one of the worst lineups in baseball for just being factual the first two months. And he's now batting fifth in it. He's batting two hundred. He has the highest strikeout rate in baseball both this year and in the history of baseball. For his career, if you take away pitchers who hit, uh, there are currently... So Miguel Sano's greatest attribute is power and slugging, right? Okay, well, he's deficient in this area. He swings and misses all the time, but he makes up for it with his power. There are currently 133 hitters in the league this year with a higher slugging percentage than Miguel Sano, including, among others, Brock Holt, who's a slappy utility (laughs) infielder. That dude has one home run and has a higher slugging percentage than Miguel Sano. Nico Goodrum, who's a utility player for the Tigers, who was kind of a Twins prospect, yeah. Twins cast off. Uh, Danny Valencia has a higher slugging percentage this year than Miguel out. Sano. Yep. Kurt Suzuki has a higher <laughs> slugging percentage than Miguel Sano does this year, and he's he's essentially in front of our eyes, morphing away from a fairly premium position in third base to being a subpar first baseman. It's which is all as play. bad as it's been for him right now. Yeah. When you're striking out forty percent of the time, I don't care if you hit a occasional home run. I mean, he's 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 a detriment. He's an absolute detriment right now. And that slider down in a way, he looks so 
discombobulated trying to hit that thing. What it's is like that? he's just waving at it. Probably what is that probably swing? Probably shouldn't swing at that pitch. What is yeah. that swing? I don't though? even know. It's like it's, a it, kind of a flail. It's like a cross that. between a flail and a check swing. Like I don't mean to. Well, I can't help myself. Yeah, it's and, a very bizarre thing. And I talked to Jane Rouse and the the hitting coach over the weekend because uh, I was doing an early column on Sano and just see strikeouts and and how. One, the lineup has to get going, and and here of late, it you know they had that stretch where I think it was uh, six out of seven games where they scored seven or more runs, and that's really with uh, Sano striking out every other time he goes up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, "Yeah, it's just they're trying to get him to quit chasing that down and away." And and obviously, teams have scouting reports, and they know that's you know throwing that slider down and away, he's going to whiff at it. And and uh, the problem is, you just don't see a lot of adjustment from him which tells you i don't care and that that's you know that's and you know you hate to get inside his body and say he doesn't care but there's just no real adjustment to it i mean he just keeps doing it over and over and over and so at some point you have to i don't know send him down do something but this is not working two options left too uh in 20 games before his dl stint okay so no, 213, 289 on base, 450 slugging, five home runs, 14 RBIs, and then of course the key stats, 36 strikeouts in 80 at bats. Then he gets hurt. In 12 games since, including last night's feeble performance, pathetic performance, 184, 245 on base, 367 slugging, two home runs, 11 RBIs, and saving the best for last, 21 strikeouts in 49 at bats. With Buxton, at least you finally said, "Okay, we we're gonna we're gonna fall on the sword here, and and we're going to say partially correct, but partially I think BS. The toe is so bad, it's our fault. He's DL'd. He'll eventually come back. We'll send him down. Regroup. Here's my simple question: Here, what do you do? What do you do here? Cross your fingers. I mean, you get I, I, there's there's no. Well, here's what ESPN.com wrote, by the way, just to finish out the. This is the this is the ten hyped players who are running out of time to become stars. It's easy to see why the twins have disappointed. It's easy to see why the twins have disappointed. Okay, this season when two of their expected cornerstone players haven't done the job. So no strikeout rate has gone from extreme to scary. He was at thirty five, thirty six percent his first three seasons. Now at forty percent, and that's come with a deteriorating chase rate and thus a career low walk rate as well. Somewhere. Uh, Joe Sewell is crying. Sano is a 2.5 war player a season ago, which is like a, a, a decent player in just 114 games. So he isn't a lost cause, but the regression to play discipline is a big concern. His conditioning is another issue. And while he played an okay third base last season, if he moves to first base, that puts even more pressure on the bat. Uh, Snow looked like a 45 home run slugger when he was so impressive as a rookie. Will he ever get there? Uh, what do you do? Well, if Pat's right, and Royce wrote this column a few weeks ago, that sending him down is just going to be sort of a slap in the face that he doesn't react well to, part of that's on him. I mean, take some ownership and and just have some self-awareness of what's going on. But if that's something that's going to cause even more problems, then you have to figure it out up here. Well, you have to. Here's my thing. I wouldn't care. I mean, do you think he's actually, is he reacting well right now? I mean, he's still striking out. Forty percent of the time. Yeah. I mean, and and he's, you know, he, he. I talked to him for a few minutes. And he said, "Yeah, I'm working on taking those pitches the opposite way." And maybe he is putting an extra bat in practice that we're not seeing. But it, there's he there was, he, he was out there. I was at the ballpark at like two forty five or three o'clock, and he was out there. This is before, way before the Twins take team practice, 
and he did about 30 minutes of tee work all to opposite field, just hitting the ball to the to the scoreboard and right center and up the middle. So I, mean, I, I don't know. It's just I've seen yeah. him out there a couple times at this homestand. So he's definitely out there putting in some work. Hasn't translated yet to the field, yeah. obviously. And maybe that's enough for them to say, okay, at least he's putting in the work. We'll, we'll be patient with him. But at some point, you know, you may have to send him down just to try to get him squared away where he's not under the gun of being in, you know, up here. I, I think there's two things here. If uh, if you were you were simply trying to get the best from from him, and you thought to yourself, well, if we send him down, it's not going to work. Uh, but there's still upside here. Then I think you say, all right, we'll continue to play you. We might not play you on a daily basis, but we're, we're going to, to make exceptions here for you. But I think we are now to the point with him being feeble at the plate, out of shape, seemingly unless unless somebody's seeing something that that we're not not caring that that much i mean buxton cares too much i think we're to the organizational philosophy of this is the wrong message to send everyone mm. that you can get to get fat yeah happy you can look pathetic and we know that we know there's way more there i mean there's this is not a guy who came up and failed from day one so i think we are to phase two which is i'm going to send you down to send a message to everyone yeah i think i agree with that it, it's possible that it might cause a rift between you and Sano, but at this point it doesn't matter. Like it, it doesn't matter. Who cares? And to, and to that point, think about that. Like, in, Just think for people listening in your office or whatever, if, if the people in charge have a really low bar for what's acceptable, and the people like Eddie Escobar and Rosario and the guys who are really grinding and putting in work, and Kyle, hell, Kyle Gibson has sort of reshaped his, his game as a pitcher the last year, and some of these guys are looking around the room and Miguel Sano is out of shape and he's striking out all the time and he's that has to impact the clubhouse to some degree. I'm not reporting that. I'm just yeah, saying yeah. like it would it would impact me. I would look over there and be like, "Dude, what are you doing?" Well, right. if they're tap dancing because they don't want to hurt his feelings, then this is professional sports. Who cares? I mean, I know you can't just you have to massage personalities and and that yeah. and, and all that, but at some point you have to send a message too that this is not good enough. And not just to him though. Yeah, to your entire club. Yeah. So we're not just going to allow a guy you can't just to have the next prospect be like. I mean, Sano didn't have to work that hard. I don't. At least with Buxton, you never look at Byron and say he doesn't care. You look at By- Byron and say he's pressing, that he's taking it too personally. Everything that you see, at least when when he fails, is not a cautionary tale of of he doesn't care. There's nothing that you see with this guy. He is he has now moved himself from third to first. What what's next? DH. He'll balloon to 330 at this rate. Isn't it amazing, though, about baseball, though? All we talked about for years was Bucks and Snow, Bucks and Snow. Yep. And here Rosario is much better than either one of those. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's the guy, you know? Yeah, for sure. And we didn't really talk. I mean, I guess we did a little, but not to. And he dropped a ball last night, and yeah. we don't care because at least we think that he's he earned applies. The, he's earned yes. a little equity. He's earned the bit of exactly. the doubt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Chip's hanging out with us. Uh, we we got to get your thoughts on uh, this Vic Viramontes thing at some yeah. point, too. Chip from the Star Tribune and StarTribune.com. Doogie with a scoop in about 45 minutes. Mackie and Judd. Sit tight. The Mackie and Judd show will continue in a moment. Wow, the suspense. <laughs> the suspense. Cliffhanger. Mackie and Judd. Cliffhanger. On 1500 ESPN. Bill Mackie. It's the worst thing I do at ESPN. Judd Zolgad. I just want to drink and watch TV. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Well, we need some quarterbacks coming in here. Well, we got one. Uh, Vic Veramontes. This guy's unbelievable. When you talk about a leader who commands the huddle, commands his team, this guy is exactly that. His film makes you say, wow. Wow. And it's a long, long tape. Not just a highlight tape, but everything else he does in terms of his game tape. 
And uh, this kid's a connector. You're really going to see that when he gets here. Very, very excited to get Vic in our program. And I'm very excited to announce him as part of our signing class. Juco College wasn't so bad. Think I'll go back and switch to linebacker. That's where I will play. Alrighty then. Wow. So I, uh, <laughs> I always get my uh, hype train, baby. One of my favorite parts is late spring, early summers to get my college football preview magazines. I just like pour over them. <laughs> and yeah, I used to write those things. Right, let's, so let's, let's let's go on. Yeah. Let's go there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like you, you dim the lights. Or what? Oh, this, is, this, is why, this is why I love you. Just pour me a glass just, of wine. Just so <laughs> You send the wife and kids out. Hey, why don't you guys go to the movies? Athlons is here. Chip going, going through all the fight songs. Street and Smith just showed up. Why don't you guys go shopping? I'm going to need, some, I'm gonna need a few hours here. <laughs> Look at all those good hips in the Big Ten. Oh, look at this depth chart. <laughs> Got hand on. <laughs> got the Purdue, the Purdue Boilermaker hat on. Kid just got some, some tube socks and the and the and the Spartan the Spartan biceps. The sword. <laughs> so you're pouring through these magazines. Oh gosh! And uh, you saw uh, Vic Giamantes. Oh, yeah, yeah, the uh, and these things have to be written so early. But uh, the one I uh, one of the ones I picked up, <laughs> top newcomer Vic. <laughs> I saw you tweet it out. That was a big write-up. Yeah. Oh gosh, that was good. So what? Um, okay. What? Here's what, the thing. What happened? It is a bit. I mean, obviously, when you draft or draft, when you sign a junior college quarterback in January and he leaves six months later to go become a middle linebacker, it's a gigantic swing and miss in evaluation. It's they, a whiff. It, they they made a huge mistake in evaluating him. Um, the, you know, there's a couple things here. One, every coach is going to sell. Recruiting. I, w- I wish one time on recruiting day, a coach would be able to stand up and say, "You know, here here's our class. We like these guys. Otherwise, we wouldn't have recruited them. But we have no idea how these are going to translate. Some are going to be, some are going to play. Some are, you know, are not going to pan out. That's just how the nature of recruiting. But they can't do that, obviously, because it's especially when you're at Minnesota, you've got to sell these guys like they're the greatest thing ever. And fans buy that stuff. I mean, they, you know, oh yeah, you know, it's, it's just like. It, I, I equate recruiting with uh, drafting in the NFL. You always think it's, you know, nothing is, is winning's the biggest thing in sports, but there's nothing more intoxicating uh, outside of winning than hope. Mm-hmm. We all, oh, this, you know, this is going to be the greatest thing. And so people buy into that. And, but I, you know, I went to one spring ball practice. It was towards the end of it. And, and I'm not saying I'm a better talent evaluator than PJ and staff, so don't, don't misunderstand me there, but it was obvious this guy was not going to be a Big Ten quarterback. I was sitting next to Graham, and I was like, I couldn't believe how short he was to begin with because I thought he'd be a lot bigger. Graham than or Vic? Yeah, both of them. Graham is tiny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, Mike. I love you. Graham's arm uh, yeah. superior to, to uh, I, I was, old Vic. It, it, it caught me off guard how small he was, yeah. and then it was just obvious he was behind the two freshmen. I mean, there was a big gap, I thought. Um, I just didn't see... I, I'm not sure what they saw that sold them on him. To be honest with you, is it just, possible that they? Okay, well, I know the answer to this. PJ hypes everything. Mm-hmm. Like PJ, P, 
obviously PJ PJ had to hype Western Michigan. They were Western Michigan was awful in the lead up to when he took the job, and they were a one win team the first year he got there. Mm-hmm. And I think in order to take a team that's kind of a dumpster fire and you know get people excited about it, and, and for this program they haven't been a dumpster fire like lately as much, but there's been a lot of low moments, and for 50 years they've been out of the Rose Bowl picture and out of the national picture and those things. Am I the only one who doesn't really have a problem with him coming in and trying to hype, hype, hype and get people excited and get the get the program on ESPN and a documentary? And and you're going to whiff in that process. He's not the first coach who's whiffed on a JUCO quarterback. Right? No, and I, and I say this. it's That's fine. You can do it because fans like it. But also, don't be offended when people make fun of you when it, when you do whiff this bad. I mean, because it's going to come back at yeah. you. When like, you. I think it's way worse to give Mitch Leidner the keys to the offense for four years than to bring a Juco guy in like this, hype him up, and then cut bait well before training camp starts. Well, like at, least, at least don't I compound don't, the mistake by putting the guy out there for two years. I don't, think, I don't think hyping uh, recruits like this is necessarily a great idea because I'm not sure it's fair. Like well, if, if Hyping your program, I completely get, and kids love fair. it. I'll, I'll always go down this path. P.J. Fleck is not for, for lots of people, but what P.J. Fleck does really well is he, he has a demeanor and personality that if you're 18 or 19, you're going to glum onto it and be like, this is great, which is what this program needs. But I think you cross a line probably, and, and I, I think there's a lesson to be learned here mm-hmm. when it comes to recruits because it put, cause now, now this poor kid, I mean, he's going to be a linebacker. He's yeah. just not that good. And he had all of this, and people are now mocking it, and, and it's a situation that wasn't probably necessary. And that's the thing. Like if you, that's fair. if that's you fair. listen to that clip, your perception is, oh my gosh, this guy's going to come in and start right away. He's going to be great. He's going to be, you know, he's going to finally give him that quarterback. And so when he doesn't, that's the bar. When he, you know, when he does, even if he stayed and played, you're thinking, God, this guy is failure. He wasn't didn't live up to what you know the hype that they told him was. Well, clearly he's not a Big Ten quarterback, I mean, right. he, or maybe even a college quarterback, you know, or a Division One quarterback. He's going to become a linebacker, and so you run that risk of when you hype him up this much, people believing it and not understanding this is just sort of the game of recruiting. This is what coaches do. Mm-hmm. No, they buy it. They're like, okay. They got twenty five All Americans. Right. Yeah, the, the 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 biggest. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Judd. Oh, I, got, I, I was going to say which. So, which of these two QBs is going to start? Well, I think Tanner Morgan will. But I got to be honest with you, the one and this is one practice. So, take it for what it was. I, I was the one that caught my eyes was Annex did. I mean, he looks like physically looks like a Big Ten quarterback. I think he's like six five, six six. And he's a true freshman. Yeah, he's the one that went to IMG. He's okay. he's from a school here. I can't remember what uh, here in the Metro. I can't remember which one, but he went to IMG and uh, is a preferred walk on. I think he had some scholarship offers. I know he did, and um, uh, came here. And so, like just watching him physically, he's the one that jumped out to me. But Tanner Morgan's been in the system longer, so my hunch is opening day he's going to be the starter. But in, you know, he's going to struggle. Yeah, hate the newsflash. He's going to struggle. First year quarterbacks. At Minnesota or everywhere, fifth year, fifth year quarterback struggle, struggle at Minnesota yeah. lately. And so. so here's the thing: Are you going to ride through that and let him grow? We don't know, you know, how to what degree he's going to struggle. But are you going to start over again next year with a new quarterback? And so that's to me, that's the number one thing. You cannot win in the Big Ten with subpar quarterback play. No. That's just what they've been dealt with, and so they have to figure that that you know that conundrum out. I think it's if if they think one of these two guys could develop into just even an average Big Ten starting quarterback by the time they're a junior, I think it's really important to pick the right one mm-hmm. initially and let that guy go through his lumps so you're not hitting the reset back button. and forth, yeah. Yeah, and I I, I hate some... I feel like it, it works very rarely at a high level. Like, Alabama did it a little bit, but if you've got two or three quarterbacks and you're kind of rotating, for me, 
I want a guy who can throw passes and be accurate and, and running should be secondary. The, just back to the to the hype train thing here for a second. The hardest part about college football coaching and recruiting is that, especially if you're not at an established program, if you're not one of the 25 or 30 truly established programs, is the fact that you're tasked with making your program a cool and desirable place to be when it's not, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it's not... The Cleveland Browns, not a desirable place to be. But you know what? When they're drafted number one and they pick you, unless you play Eli Manning Harbaugh, you are going to play for the Cleveland Browns. So it can be an absolute joke of a franchise in professional sports, and they still get to select blue-chip talent at the same rate as other teams would. In fact, even at a higher rate because you're drafting higher. Mm -hmm. In college sports... Because uh, now, now you could get into the how much are they offering under the table, but assuming yeah. that like scholarships are all equal across the board, you have to make it desirable for a blue chip quarterback or a JUCO, whatever it is that you're recruiting, you know, freshman running back over top established programs, even in your region like Iowa and Wisconsin. So, how do you do that? How do you make it a cool place to be and a cool place to come? Hey, you got to go, look what we're building over here, even though they haven't gone to a Rose Bowl in two generations. You have to sell it. You have to hype it, and and you're going to look bad sometimes in that process. And that's it's, the it's, I don't, it's a really hard job. Yeah, and I, and uh, you know, kind of what just said, PJ Sell, and I, I completely understand. More people, you know, we had the ESPN show before even coach here, but that put eyeballs on your program. I completely understand why he does it, and and I think it's good for the program in a lot of ways. It does not bother me. I know it turns some people off, but it doesn't bother me because that's just sort of what you need to do when you're here. But in saying that, you also have to understand that it is going to turn some people off and it is going to annoy them. And so when you have these cases where something doesn't work out, where you hype a guy, they're going to come back full, you know, hard the other way. And so is he sensitive? Like, how sensitive is he to that? And in, in just your well, sort of interactions and dealings, is he s- no one wants to be made fun of, you know? And so I think, you know, if he if it's warranted. Like this one, I think you have to sort of take it because you hyped up a guy yeah, sure. and it didn't work out. So you sort of have to accept mm-hmm. that it's going to come back, you know, the other way. But, you know, no one wants to be made fun of. And, and I think he does want people to believe in his message and have some patience. But you're, I mean, we, we talked about this ad nauseum, but you're in a market where there's it, with the fan base that's been. And <laughs> you've got, cru- and you've got crusty people. Yeah. You got, so, you got crusty fans as well. Yeah. And so, um, but I, I still think. You when you're you have to sell Minnesota. You just do because it's people. You know nationally, they're not going to look at it in the same way that we do locally. I mean, national. You're trying to get kids from Florida, Texas, California to come here. If you if you're milk toast about it or just kind of well, do you want to start? That's not going to work. You're going to have to have something different mm-hmm. to make people take notice of your program, and that might turn some people off. But I think that's yeah. what you have to do. What's the, what's the first year chipper that there are going to be expectations again? Because it's certainly not going to be 2018. I would think by next year. 19? The third year, yeah. Um, because then you're going to have you know two full classes. You can't really count the last one. Where you're, when you have a coaching change and you're scrambling within two months, that's not really sure. fair to, to evaluate that draft, or that, you call them draft, that, uh, that signing class. But if you have two full classes... Then you can start to say, okay, these are your guys now. Your system's in place for three years now. But I, I keep coming back to, and Jerry Keel couldn't do it. You've got to be able, and Tracy Clay's couldn't, you've got to be able to find a quarterback in this league. I mean, it's just, <laughs> you can't have subpar quarterback play in college football and think you're going to be any good. Yeah. Chip's hanging out with us from the Star Tribune, startribune.com, a scoop of doogie in about a half hour. Uh, the Chris Lindahl team 
is the same as it's been for a number of years. So they're not changing the team. It's still the same great team, same great approach. The difference is, and this is uh, an historic announcement for Minnesota real estate, it's now Chris Lindahl Real Estate. Uh, the real estate brokerage is here, and uh, it's, it's, it's Chris Lindahl declaring innovation independence for his team and and it's and no one in Minnesota has ever done this before. No one has looked beyond the big national brokers and said, you know what, we've got this. Uh, the industry is moving fast, and and it's it's possible that others might take the same approach here. But the team is the same. The relentless push to bring a fresh approach to the industry is the same. Helping you make tens of thousands more dollars on the sale of your home, all of that's the same. But it's now Chris Lindall Real Estate, and the website's the same too. ChrisLindall.com. That's Chris with a K. Or 763-401-SOLD. That's 763-401. Now, back to Mackie and Judd. I'm ready! Live from TCL Broadcast Studios on 1500. Get your Independence Day off to a running start with the Red, White, and Boom TC Half Marathon Relay and 5K on July 4th. Come out to Boom Island Park for this Twin Cities summer tradition and get your run and first picnic of the holiday under your belt. If you're at the lake, out of town, that's not a problem. You can run the virtual Red, White, and Boom wherever you're at for more details. And to register, visit 1500ESPN.com keyword events. Who knew that the baseball program could be this good? It's been a long time. I think the opposite personality-wise of P.J. Fleck would be John Anderson, who's been overseeing the Gopher baseball program for almost four decades. Uh, Corvallis this weekend, little three-game series. Uh, I know you've been been watching this closely and covering it, Chip. What a cool story. It's awesome. I mean, to me, it's just, um, you know, in college baseball, you just have this north-south, you know, the, the northern team, if you don't count Oregon State as a northern team, and some people would argue yes, no, whatever, but it's not 1966, went in a College World Series, a northern team. Who was it again? Ohio State. That was two years <laughs> after the Gophers. Yeah. Gophers won at 64, they won at 66. And, yep. then, and then Oregon State won it back-to-back in uh, not too long ago, but whether you call them northern, south, whatever. But um, so it's a, it's a hell of a story, and this team is, I mean, the way they catch, catch it, pitch and they get timely hitting and there's just something about them that you know they kind of caught fire they got this momentum I, I talked to john anderson about it and if you go back in 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 uh, february they were going to have their their first big 10 series against penn state got snowed out or cold out whatever so they're scrambling to find a, a uh, place to play it and john was was nervous about how his team would would handle it and it, it a group of players came in, I think it was the seniors, and said, just find a field, get a bus, we'll go play anywhere. We just want to be able to play it. Not Because two years ago, or last year, that Rucker series got moved to the end, and they had to play two doubleheaders in the span of four days. Yeah, they that played was a, five games. It was just a debacle. That was a mess, yes. And um, so he said, we just want to play it and have a fair chance to play it. And uh, so they wound up playing that series at Purdue, and they swept Penn State. And he said right then he felt like he had something special, just the way they handled that whole. I mean, it was a nine-hour bus ride coming home. The the battery on the bus went died. They had to switch buses. That was a great and, part of your column. Yeah, so it's just you know it's typical Minnesota baseball where you have these you know travel nightmares. But it, this team has just kind of come together, and, and they won twelve in a row. So I mean, there'll be underdogs out there. Um, it'd obviously be an upset if they won, but I don't know. There's something about this team that is just 
they've they've gelled and they they kind of have this you know it factor about them right now. I, I told Phil I want to say I looked look this up a couple of days ago, Chipper. Uh, Indiana made the College Baseball World Series in 2015, 13? Yeah, four, yeah, four they, or five years ago. They, they were... The Kyle Schwarber team. They were the first Big Ten team to make it since 1984 Michigan It just team. doesn't happen. It doesn't, yeah. I, I was going to say, it not only do, does not happen here, it doesn't happen basically across the board for the Big Ten. Well, and John has long been a proponent of... John Anderson has long been a propo- proponent of two leagues. You have a Northern League and a Southern League, and a Northern huh. Schools, East, or whatever. Whoever wants to play in it, they play in the summer. And so you're starting April 15th, and you have two national championships. And you just, if you're a baseball school, you pick which one you want to play in. You, yeah. you be in the North and South. And, and uh, so he just thinks it's the, the imbalance, which is the numbers bear it out. You, what, 81 since, what, 30 years have been in the College World Series? Mm-hmm. You haven't had Northern team win it since 66? It's just, you're not, yeah. it, it's apples and oranges. It's really amazing, too, just like the difference in what you're able to do if you're a player playing, if you're playing in Gainesville, you can literally just go outside during the winter, and you can, not that they're official like team practices, but it's just a lot easier to go out and work on your game in a setting that's not a field house, right? And the thing is, for years, what have we t- talked about go for uh, football? Wow, who wants to come play in the cold weather? Imagine baseball. If you're a high-level baseball player from Minnesota, yeah. You're going to go to the south and play. You just and that's are. what usually happens. Like it, a lot yeah, it of, happens a lot, all the time. A lot of these dudes yeah. just go, all right, go, these guys go play at Kentucky and go mm-hmm. play at Ole Miss or wherever. Yeah. yeah. So it's. I mean, to me, that only adds to the, how cool this is. That this. I mean, they have a kid from Oklahoma, um, but by and large, this is you know Minnesota, Illinois, Wisconsin kids. Dan, Dan Olson's kid. That yeah, catcher from he's a with, Illinois. Uh, yeah, and they and they have a. Uh, you know, the pitchers from Washington State. Yep. But by and large, this is a cold-weather team. Mm-hmm. And here they are. In Minnesota baseball just knocked out UCLA in baseball. And, <laughs> and, in, and in the knockout game, absolutely embarrassed them. Now, yeah. UCLA scored a couple garbage runs late to make it 13-8, to but it was it was an absolute yeah, mismatch and, in that and, game. And John was telling me, I think UCLA a couple years ago had the number one recruiting class, so he thinks next year they're going to be really good. Mm-hmm. You know, They might be one of those teams that can win it all. When did John know that that this team was special, too? Because well, he's had so many good teams before that have never gotten over this hump. It's weird. He'll take you back to a couple years ago. They had a, a losing record. He's only had two losing seasons in 37 years. So it was just a bad dynamic with that team. And, and um, they had kind of a team meeting where they called it and, and said, this has to change. I mean, you've got Didn't to you pull the freshman in. I think, yeah, 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 freshman class. A lot, all the different guys. But said, you've right. got to change this. This is not going to work. And so they really kind of committed to, you know, not only working on their baseball skills, but also just kind of being better teammates and and have more buy in and listening. And you know, John doesn't do captains anymore. Long ago, he gave up. Um, Having captains, he thinks the team should be the captain, mm-hmm. and so he doesn't do captains. He kind of gives ownership to the players to say, hey, "This is your program. Do what you know, make it what you will." And uh, and this this freshman class, and then obviously that grew to be seniors, but then you're also getting you know a couple of really good freshman pitchers on this team, Max Meyer from Woodbury and. Fredrickson, and so right. um, it's just, it's a lot of cool stories on there. I thought it was I was at the the clinching game, the regional game, mm-hmm. the the blowout against UCLA, and just. 2,500 fans, and there was another maybe 100 or so sitting just beyond the left field fence that didn't buy tickets. They just sat on that little yeah. berm out there. What a cool environment. And yeah. I get that you're not going to, it's not like, oh, all of a sudden now when they play at Seabird for a regular season game against Penn State next year, you're not going to put 2,000 people back in. But it was this conglomeration of hardcore, smart baseball fans 
all of them ready to heckle too. Yeah. And I and I can guarantee you the home, even though it wasn't like fifteen thousand people at Texas A and M or anything like that, where they're chanting ball five, ball six, <laughs> ball seven at pitchers, but it did throw UCLA off absolutely in that game. Well, the night before the the Saturday night one that went real late and it was what three to two, uh, the final two to one. Yeah. Was, John said. Um, if we play that UCLA, we probably lose that game. But he thought being at home, having the environment, yeah. And those are nineteen-year-old kids; like they definitely hear it. That, yeah. The pitcher on the mound who can't throw a strike, and there's hecklers, and you're sitting twenty feet away from him. You know, so that's and they don't get regionals. This is the first regional they've hosted in, since when? Two thousand. Two thousand. So it matters. I mean, if you had to go play that UCLA, do you think they advance? Right. No, I don't think so. And, and if, if they they don't don't get uh, their field redone, they don't get they one. They don't get one, no. Because I don't not. care how good that, that team was. If you try and play in the old Seabird, you do not get awarded a regional. Well, they, remember, people were talking about should they play at C- CHS Field over in St. Paul where the Saints play just because it can hold more people, parking and all that. But it, it's a cool environment, you know. It doesn't hold a lot, but it's it, it's a cool and environment. you can't park near it. No, you can't. There's no parking. <laughs> oh, my yeah, God. No, it's just ridiculous. I don't think they should open up a lot down there somewhere. There's that, that street that goes down. And usually there's 100 potholes, and it would just yeah. destroy your vehicle anyways. But yeah. Thanks for coming in, Chip. Yeah, thank you, boys. Chipper. Appreciate it. All right, Bye. Scoggins, go find his stuff, Star Tribune and StarTribune.com. Doogie with a scoop in about 20 minutes. Uh, let's come back. Actually, later on, too, Matthew Collar is going to join and Roy Smalley, the 11th. We have a pack show today. I, I overheard a conversation in the press box several hours before the game between a Hall of Famer and an old school scout. And I want to run a couple of things by. We're going to basically steal what they talked about, and I want to run it by you. Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Man, isn't this the greatest? On 1500 ESPN.